Greetings, everyone. It's great to have you back with us on the podcast for Finishing Well Ministries. Uh, This podcast is part two of our time well-invested with Dr. Joe McElhaney. Hearing his story, if uh, you just happen to be joining us now, you need to go back and listen to our previous podcast. We're going to build on that one in this podcast. And I want to talk with Joe more today about what is happening in his life now. What we did in the first podcast, you heard about how God has worked in his life in the past. And I want to say it's all been for this point in your life, like Esther, for such a time as this. Is that fair, Joe? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So what we talked about in the last session, as you talked about your life, you developed this uh, plan for Medical Institute for Sexual Health, which you left your practice and launched in full time. And tell us. what was a catalyst once you launched in that? Tell us about your relationship with uh, President Bush and what happened there. And then I want to get into what God is doing in your life now through this ministry. Okay. Uh, the uh, Medical Institute had some national prominence almost begin- at the beginning. Uh, and I think there were two reasons for that. One is I wrote a book that came out in 1985 before Wikipedia about women's issues. I had a patient uh, that said that was, you know, like Vicki or Marion, but uh, as far as their social position and standing and so forth, smart lady, said, well, now, Dr. McElhinney, after the hysterectomy, what will I have to use for birth control? And I came home to Marion. This is back in the early 80s. I said, Marion, I need to write a book because these, these people just don't know anything about themselves, ladies. Um, and so I wrote this book that came out in 85. Dr. Dobson got it to his office, saw it, and asked me to be on his program. We recorded 11 programs. It's the most programs he's ever, he's ever had uh, done in, in one, with one person in one session. Um, he and I became good friends. Well, those programs got played a lot around the country. Uh, and matter of fact, when we started recording, he said, are you ready for your life to change? I said, well, I guess. Well, I didn't dream of how it would impact me. So first, I was having some presence around the country because of those programs. Uh, then uh, when Marion, when we stopped, uh, when it left practice, started the Medical Institute in 92, left practice in 95, there was a color picture of Mary and me on the front page of the Austin American Statesman, uh, local OBGN leads practice to help kids. And so I got a card from Governor Bush uh, that said, other people probably think you're crazy. I think you're doing the best thing you could possibly do, be doing with your life. And I thought it was just a form, but it wasn't. Then he asked me to come up and, and our, his staff called, said he wanted me to talk to the senior staff about risk, youth risk problems. And then they had me come meet with him. He asked that I come meet with him. So he and I met in his private office many times, just even talking about his faith in Jesus, which was authentic, by the way. Uh, and he had me fly around the state with him to uh, talk about volunteerism. And uh, so, and then he becomes president. And uh, we go, Mary and I go to the Oval Office again, just him and Marion and me and, um, and some of a few of his staff people uh, and uh, talk about youth risk problems there. And then that opened things up uh, in, in Washington, D.C., because when people, know that the president likes you, it really opens up a lot of things. I became on his presidential advisory council on HIV and AIDS. I was a member of that. I became a member of the, uh, uh, the, the head of CDC, her, nation, her, her personal advisory committee, stuff like that, which basically gave me connection with people around the country. So 
Here we go. The medical industry is growing. We had 25 staff people. We brought in a few million dollars uh, for in our work. We uh, wrote the textbook, the part of the textbook for, for Texas back then about sexual sexuality education. Uh, and so, you know, at that point, Hal, I thought we would replace Planned Parenthood in America. I made so many mistakes. I, I made so many mistakes back then in the first place, thinking that this one organization could do it. Second, I think there is this thing that physicians sometimes have that when they're having success, and of course, this was success far above just medical practice, you start thinking that you've got it, man, you know how it ought to work. Uh, and indeed, I think that led to the Medical Institute ultimately uh, gradually declining in influence, declining in income, declining in staff to the point where we only were maintaining information about STD and the effect, impact of that on people's lives, impact of non-marital pregnancy, and that was it. We were not having new initiatives and new influence, and I think it was all because of my failure and, and in a sense, pride about that, you know? Uh, and so I've learned a lot, and that resulted in some change thinking for me and uh, the renewal that we now have going on. Reflect a little bit more about your mistakes. I mean, and how did God work through that to, to change anything? Well, we had some, some incredible, we had, I had two physicians on staff. We had 25 staff, like I said. Two of them were really incredible physicians, and I wouldn't listen to them. I, I thought I knew more than they did, and uh, they did some really good things, but I sort of stopped some of those things that they would have done if I hadn't, if I hadn't, um, if I'd had more insight into what they were trying to accomplish. Um, we, uh, the McClellan Foundation was uh, really, really helpful to us. Um, they helped fund my search for a COO, and within a few uh, months, I fired him because I didn't think he was doing well. I never sat down and talked to him because uh -huh. he was a really, really bright and a good guy, but I just, I just was a little, little bit too arrogant about the direction he was trying to move things. So I've learned since then to sit and listen and to work with other people. Like you said, through the years, I hadn't listened to people. But I think through those um, years when the medical industry was doing so good, I was, I think I was probably too arrogant about it, thinking we're going to replace Planned Parenthood uh, when there wasn't a prayer that the way we were going about it at that time. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was a humbling experience. And then, of course, right about that time, Marin got her Alzheimer's, and that got me distracted. Uh, as far as a lot of my energy and, uh, went with the medical institute, although by that time we'd already hired a new president and CEO. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but I think that all of that has influenced where I am right now today, big time. Well, it does. So what turned the organization? How did God work? And tell me where, where your focus today, what's the focus of your ministry, the, the, the medical institute? And how is it growing in its impact for God's purposes today? What would you say? Well, uh, I would say that in some sense, our vision has enlarged enormously um, in that we now are not just focused on STD, but we're focusing on the whole person. We're trying to get culture to embrace the benefits of healthy marriage as the best place, for, as the optimal place for sex. 
So we're still focusing on the medical aspect, the scientific aspect of sexual involvement, but also focusing on the fact that when kids are sexually involved uh, before they get married, they're more likely to divorce. Um, Cohabitation is a failure. Uh, People who cohabit are less likely to ultimately get married to that that person than if they just date and aren't having sex until they get married. Um, That uh, a lot of the poverty is because of of uh, kids being raised as in single parent homes, uh, the kids don't learn how to work. They don't learn how to have discipline. So when they get out into the world, they don't know how to keep a job. Uh, and so the whole sexual thing is huge for our society. And I just don't think society realizes that. And so some of our work is trying to alert people to this whole uh, this whole problem that can develop. We're, we're we're really upstream. The downstream problems are taking care of girls that have been. Uh, abused or girls that have been trafficked is taking care of people that have divorces and trying to counsel them and help them get back together. We're upstream. We're trying to help people live lives before they, so they don't develop these problems later on, uh, particularly revolve around sexual involvement. Um, So what happened, Hal, is that uh, through those years after the medical institute, I was here in, in in Plano, uh, my time was with Marion, but I still had a lot of time to think. And I said, well, what went wrong with that? Because I know God put me into this to help make a, a change in culture, really. Uh, and I realized that we were trying to do it by ourselves. Planned Parenthood had Alan Guttmacher Institute, uh, the uh, Advocates for Youth had uh, SICUS, uh, had the National Campaign to Prevent Team. They had a coalition. We didn't. So I started calling some of these friends that I was talking about that I developed back when I was um, involved with Bush and the White House and, and with the CDC and all that. And I said, don't you think a coalition might start working? And sure enough, everybody I talked to said, yeah. So we now have put together a new sexual revolution coalition uh, as one of the projects of the Medical Institute. We've had six national meetings now. We have work groups that are working in the area of, of, of uh, areas of culture involving the church, involving uh, education, and involving legislation and so forth. Uh, so we have a coalition to try to change American culture in the sexual area. It's uh, awesome. Then what happened was the coalition started about four years ago, uh, began working. It's, it's grown to about 200 members now. Family Research Council's represented, uh, FOCUS, Dr. Dobson's behind it, but also a lot of smaller organizations. Uh, so, but but then uh, the Medical Institute itself was really weak, uh, even though we had this coalition building under my leadership, really, uh, humbly under my leadership. Let me put it that way. I've really been humbled. Uh, and... Um, not regretting that at all, by the way. I realize what mistakes I've made in the past. So um, the board of the Medical Institute about two and a half years ago asked me to come back um, full-time or else just shut down the Medical Institute. Well, we had the coalition going. It would have been a disaster. And, and people around the country were saying, look, we depend on your scientific information. Uh, so I came back to work uh, one year, uh, re- rebirthing the organization. It was really going well. We got a, one of our... Uh, uh, board members gave us a million dollars to to get things going again, and 
then gave us a second million, which sounds like a lot, but when you run an organization, it's not all that much, actually, uh, trying to rebuild a, a group. Uh, and uh, But then I got cancer uh, about a year and a half ago. I got a, a lymphoma um, and had to start chemotherapy. So at that point, the board, uh, with my pushing, uh, elected this incredibly gifted uh, woman, Lori Kirkendall, is in the president's CEO. So now my work is just to keep relationships going. I, well, of course, for the six months of chemotherapy, I couldn't do a whole lot. Uh, as a matter of fact, one, one thing, Hal, during that time, um, I was lying on my daughter's couch because I lived over there during three or four of these months when I wasn't feeling good during chemotherapy. I was lying there and I said, and I never had this feeling. I said, you know, Jesus, it's okay if you take me. I'm comfortable mm. with that. Mm. I'm not because, you know, I still want to be around my grandkids and kids, and I know they'd miss me. But it was the weirdest thing. I had this sense, okay, God, you can go ahead and take me now. Well, he didn't. Uh, last chemo <laughs> was on in January, and then the phone was gone. And the, the, I saw the oncologist a month ago. He came in smiling after a total body scan and said, you're fine. So Praise God. You know, and so here I am. I'm still involved, and I think God still wants me to be doing what I'm doing. And, you know, do you think I'm doing okay? I think you're doing because great, Joe. You keep influence, you keep trying to get us old guys to do something. You think I'm doing something? Okay. Well, talk, you know, to me, that, that's what we're, we're to be about. And, and that pattern has been clear in your life, uh-huh. right? I think so. So, Joe, yeah. what would you no, say? I know so. What would you say to people who are listening to this podcast? You know, everybody out there who's in their 80s, you know, or whatever, whatever age you are, you're post-retired, thinking about what in the world am I here for? How would you answer that on the basis of how God has worked in your life? Well, you know, you and I were talking before we started this about God having a plan for your life. Um, And I agree with you. I think he does. Uh, But I think sometimes you have to sort of think a little bit about that, especially at this age. Uh, I know extremely comfortable people. I mean, I'm talking about a guy that was in charge of manufacturing for a major company all over the whole world. I mean, he he met with kings and princes and flew all over the world. And and he's just now sitting there, uh, you know, just uh, really taking care of his dog and his wife. And uh, another guy that helped build enormous buildings all over the country. Uh, and I'm thinking, you know, I think maybe my advice, I'm not sure I'll do that with these two people, but uh, I guess as people listen to this, what my advice would be, well, who, who is, if you, if you really have just retired, don't quite know what to do, who is it that you've got to know uh, that you could influence? Um, maybe to, to start a Bible study for them. I've done that. I've actually started it, and I teach a Bible study at this Jewish retirement home. 50% of people in there are Jewish, and 50% of us aren't. And so I started a Bible study there. Well, uh, I think a lot of our Christian elder people, if nothing else, could knock on doors down the street and say, I'm starting a Bible study. Come to this Bible study. And it requires a lot of a lot of study, a lot of time getting ready for those Bible studies. Or, you know, whatever. But I think using contacts that you've had can be a major uh, major thing, or, or the fact that you've been in a Bible, good Bible teaching church for years, and you know scripture, that you could teach a Bible study, or, you know, just use what has God's built into you all this time. 
Um, Including your profession. I mean, and your skills and what you've done. That's what your life illustrates. Yep, absolutely. So God's been working all along in your life and in every listener out there today. And every follower of Christ who's aging, there's a pattern that I think God has been working in you and through you in your life that he wants to see continued throughout all your aging years. Some of it's basic, like you said, teach the Bible. I mean, share with people. But there are other skills in your life that can continue to have an impact through your local church, through your community, through your profession, or whatever it is. I totally agree. You know, look at it. I was 84 years old when the board asked me to come back to a major rebirth of this national organization. I'm going, I'm 84 years old. You know, I started trying to play golf when I was 65, and I'm terrible. I need to play golf every day so I can get better. No, that wasn't it. That was not God's plan for me. I'm glad, Joe. I, I, I put my boots back on, went back to work, and, and I think clearly it was God's plan for me. And I'm not saying that's what it is for other people, but I do think God has something for people to do who are our age. And maybe you should write a little brochure for our ministry that we can circulate <laughs> about how God works in yeah, but we all know people like that. So look around and learn from other people who are finishing well and continue to have a strong influence for Jesus right through the end of life. Yeah, and you can, and, and, and it's not that you just should go to work full time all the time like you used to. You can still take time to, like, I'm going to go to Iceland Saturday of this week and stay a week and then come back. I'm taking one of my grandkids that's sort of lost. He quit college. And so, I don't have a plan for ministering to Joseph, but we're going to be going to Iceland. So I get to go to Iceland. I also get to spend some time with a grandkid that needs a granddad to, to influence him a little bit. You know, I think that's awesome. So yeah. now before I finish this, Joe, uh, you know, how, what could our listeners tap into on the medical Institute that would help them in their ministry, maybe through a local church, helping young people. Is there a website? What, what would you, I mean, what could we share with our listeners out there that would be a direct benefit to them from just listening to you for these two podcasts? Well, there are two things. Thanks for for asking that. Uh, One is go to www.medinstitute.org and uh, just see what's there. Uh, We have a lot of scientific data and SCDs and all sorts of other information about marriage and stuff. So I'd highly encourage that. And by the way, uh, we are a a national organization. We really are trying to produce a new sexual revolution to be the catalyst for that to happen. And that takes money. Uh, And we would, so when I say money, that comes across wrong because what I'm saying is we need people to join us. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially right now, the stock market's gone up some, and I think people having some extra money. Uh, I cannot think of any better place they could put it other than their church and finishing well ministries. Thank you, Joe. Than the medical institute. So I think people can think uh, creatively about what they do with the money that they have now available. Uh, the kids don't need it all. Uh, a couple of these people I just mentioned have millions. And, um, you know, the, the, their kids, it, it'd be good for them to use some of that money to give away and not just leave for the children. Sure, leave your kids a lot, but uh, uh, some of us have money we can give away too. 
Well, I, th- I sure thank God for what he's doing through your life, Joe. And, uh, you know, like I said, when we started this in the previous podcast, I think our relationship goes back almost 40 years and God has continued to use you as a great encouragement and example for me to keep pressing on and finish well. And I can't thank you enough. Well, I thank you for the friendship, most of all, and for the chance to, to talk about these things that are really important, both to you and to me. And, and you know, as I think about that, let's think about closing down. But, you know, isn't that what we ought to be doing these last years of our life? You know, your 80s, your 90s or whatever. I, I think encouraging each other to keep pressing on. I'm continually go, I go back to Paul in Philippians 3. He's in a jail cell near the mm-hmm. end of his life. And he even uh, exhorts Timothy, you know, right before he dies, he says, I want to press on. There's a purpose for my life and I need to fulfill that. And I want to press for that with everything I can get. Now, if you and I, people in our 70s, 80s, 90s, if we have those kinds of conversations for each other and we challenge each other to keep pressing on, who, who is to say what God couldn't do through our lives? Well, I'll never be a great golfer, obviously. Because I'm going to be influenced by you, Hal, uh, to keep it up. And I agree with you. Get with people that can encourage you to do this. Joe, thanks for being with us today. Yeah, I'm going to do something unusual. I just want to pray for you before we finish and ask God to keep his hand on your life in every way. Thank you so much. Father, I thank you for Joe and Marion and their influence in my life. I, I am indebted to them and you've used them greatly in my life. And I pray that you will continue to use Joe, the skills that you put in his life decades ago and a heart for you back as that Wrangler at Deer Valley Ranch, running into those Christian physicians there at the ranch and shaping his life. I just think it's absolutely stunning and amazing. And you have that same kind of Uh, dreams for us in our old age. I think of uh, Peter when he preached at Pentecost, Acts 2.17, old men will dream dreams. And I pray that we as older people and finishing well and everywhere we are, everywhere your older people are scattered across this country, we would have dreams for seeing what you want to do through our lives. So bless Joe, bless this ministry and bless finishing well and keep us focused on you uh, with everything we have. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Joe. And it's a pleasure to have you with us on this Finishing Well Ministry podcast. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. And you'll hear more of interviews like this in the months to come. And it's just a, a God thing to be able to be with you today to share that. And thanks, Joe. And may God bless you in every way. And God bless you in Finishing Well Ministries, Joe.